Hello once again and welcome back to our weekly catch-ups on Tourism Body Tuesday. Today we wrap together the other side of the border of a region that has so much importance to the Backroads Touring Group. In our very first Tourism Body Tuesday, we introduced the region surrounding Northern France and commonly refer to this region as our Battlefield Tours region. Like we did then, we are jumping across to the Belgian side to a region that shares the same history as its bordering region, but again, with the assistance of tourists from Flanders, we introduced Sonia Holt, to, who will open up this region for us all. The sights, delights, as well as maybe some culinary delights, and finishing off with some significant battlefields detail for your learning today. Sonia, thank you for joining us, and welcome to Flanders. Thank you, Dylan, and a very good morning to you. Um, I'm delighted to be here to, uh, to talk all things Flanders. Now, there may be people sitting and listening and thinking, Flanders, um, what and uh, where is it exactly? So to make that a little clearer, Flanders is the Dutch-speaking region in northwest Belgium. Now, Belgium essentially uh, is a country made up of three main parts. Brussels, the capital, Wallonia in the south, and that's the French-speaking region, and then Flanders uh, in the north over to the west as the Dutch-speaking region. Belgium as a country is, of course, very centrally located in Europe. So if you're picturing the map in your mind at the moment, it is the Netherlands to the north, uh, Germany over to the east, and France to the south. Now, that's a whole lot of geography and a whole lot of languages mentioned. So one thing I do want to highlight for our Aussie visitors is that English is very widely spoken and very freely spoken across uh, Flanders. Um, most Belgians are actually trilingual, putting most of us Aussies to shame. <laughs> so you are not going to encounter a language problem at all in Flanders. So, what to expect um, as a visitor to Flanders? Now, I've summarised that as uh, four key headings. Uh, the first one, a rich hist history and heritage. And this comes through in architecture, in art from the medieval times, right through to the more uh, current 20th century history of World War I, which we'll talk a little bit more of, uh, about the Remembrance Trail. The second point is world-class gastronomy. You are going to taste and drink things in Flanders that you don't quite find anywhere else in the world. That and that's me. a real treat. Mm. The third um, part I've put there is charming medieval cities. Now, I call them cities, but they're small cities by our Australian standards. And these are gorgeous places, often quite unfamiliar to um, Aussie tourists. I'm going to talk to you of how to have a quintessential European experience in some amazing locations in Flanders. And lastly, I've put down local life experiences. Now, not just local experiences, but, but local life, because I think it goes a little deeper in Flanders. And this is something that people take away and really resonates with them as an Australian visitor to the region. Um, we're not overly touristic in most of our cities. So you will find yourself interacting with locals. In a bar, you may be the only one who's a native English speaker. Same in a restaurant. When you meet an artisan in a city, they're happy to share their story or a guide. You'll get a real understanding of the actual feel of that particular locality. So local life experiences as you wander um, throughout this lovely region of Europe. So moving on, I'm going to start with Belgian favourites. Now, Dylan, this might seem a strange place to start today, but not only are some of these things iconic and sometimes the most recognised things from Belgium, but they are so inherent to the local culture and so prevalent when you're visiting the region that I thought this is a good place to kickstart our presentation today. So, Belgian favourites, what do I mean by this first off? chocolates. Now, 
The chocolate industry in Belgium uh, was first developed in Brussels by a man named Neuhaus. And of course, yes, that is still a chocolate brand today. He was a pharmacist and he developed chocolate for medicinal purposes in the 1800s. <laughs> now, his store still exists in Brussels. Um, it's a gorgeous um, place to visit. Um, and of course, there are other countries that do the chocolate in Europe. So what is it about Belgian chocolate that makes it special and different? And what should you look out for? You should be looking out for the praline. A praline is a field chocolate. So what we call a chocolate with a field centre here. Uh, there are quite exotic flavours to these centres. My absolute favourite, and generally on my um, trade fam trips, we do a tasting, is a champagne truffle. Ooh, now you're talking. Um, I go. know. Um, and it's made with fresh cream. So one of the things about Belgian chocolates is the freshness of the ingredients. That means you have to consume them reasonably quickly. It's not a hard task. So don't buy chocolates on your trip in June for Christmas presents. They need to be consumed um, by then to really enjoy them at their best. But they are amazing and they are very unique. Did you know, uh, an interesting fact is that Flemings eat around six kilograms of chocolates each a year. So when I wow. talk about it, it, I know that's a lot of chocolate, actually. A lot of chocolate. Uh, yeah. You're buying a lot of Cadbury's at the supermarket <laughs> to make up for that. <laughs> so when I said it's part of the culture, it really is for local people. These are not um, just touristic enterprises. And you will see this as you um, visit the region. Every, every town, every city has a lot of chocolate shops, chocolate museums in many places, as well as a lot of chocolate workshops. If you're really interested, um, you can uh, really get into uh, the process. The next uh, Belgian favourite I'm going to talk about is beer. Now, Flanders. Hallelujah. Has, I love you, sweetheart. I know. I Welcome know. My language. Chocolate and beer. We're off to a grim start. We're off to a brilliant start. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have uh, in Flanders over 1,500 different types of beer wow. that you can order. Now, beer is such a specialty in Belgium that the process was recognised by UNESCO in 2016 as being inherent to our culture. When you're in Belgium, you can order anything from a traditional Trappist beer. Now, a Trappist beer, um, some of you may know, to be labelled a Trappist beer, it has to be brewed by monks. That still happens today. Um, right through to what we call in Australia more craft beer um, breweries. But a special thing, a unique thing about ordering a beer in Belgium is that not only does the brewer design and craft the beer, they then select a glass that best showcases the taste of that beer. And that beer must be served in that glass. So if you are a cafe in Flanders and you sell 60 different beers, you must stock 60 different glasses because each beer has its specific shape glass. Very interesting. I'm going to tell you, there's a curious bar in Ghent uh, where these glasses have become souvenirs. Some of them are incredibly um, unique. So this, this bar was losing its glasses too regularly. So they devised a very interesting way to protect the glasses. If you order that particular beer, which comes naturally in that glass, you have to take off one of your shoes and it's put in a net high above <laughs> the bar. And only when you return the glass do you get your shoe I back. I love it. There How you original. go. How original. Now, I've, I should also say, generally, I'm not a beer drinker. I don't drink beer um, at home in Australia. But in Belgium, I guarantee there is a beer for all of you. Okay, enough of beer. We're getting thirsty. Uh, some other culinary treats and things that are fundamental uh, to visiting Flanders and you will find everywhere there. I'm going to talk something. I'm going to mention the word French fries. Why is she talking something with the French? Because fries are um, an original development of Belgium. The term French fry refers to the cut, not 
uh, to the geography. So they are right at home. They were first devised in Belgium and you will find, again, this is very, very common, all Belgians, um, eat a lot of fries. Um, and they find, you'll find uh, what we call fricots in Flanders. That's like a hole in the wall type shop that sells the fries in a, in a cardboard cone and you must eat them with mayonnaise to be yeah. done in the local way. That moves on, of course, to mussels um, and fries. Mussels cooked in white wine, served with fries and mayo. Very, very uh, fundamental dish to travel Ooh. in Flanders. Waffles. Um, if there's one smell of Brussels, Brussels smells like me, uh, like waffles to me. Um, to eat a waffle with not a touristic version is to eat it just with icing sugar. But it's hard to resist all the chocolate and the other toppings when you're there. But you know, if you're a local, you eat it with icing sugar. We also have in Flanders very high um, culinary techniques um, and experiences, cutting edge techniques. Uh, a high number of uh, Michelin star restaurants. But eating in Flanders is not about only enjoying good food in those high-end restaurants. Um, it's really a commitment that whether you are eating in a local cafe or a highly rated five-star um, enterprise, um, that you should expect fresh ingredients and good quality cooking. Um, that is the standard uh, and the expectation um, across the board in Flanders. So you're all welcome to put me to the test um, on that one. Um, the last um, Belgian specialty I want to talk about and getting away from food is actually cycling. Um, just because this is another aspect that you'll find as you're um, visiting the region is so inherent. Uh, cycling is Flanders' national sport. Uh, we call Flanders the heartland of cycling. And this goes right back to the most famous um, competitive uh, cyclist of all, Eddie Merckx. Um, you will find in practice uh, that it's the cobbles, uh, riding on the very, very difficult cobbles and, and of, um, of Flanders that draws in cyclists from around um, the world. And even if you're not a cyclist and you're visiting the region, you'll notice the respect cyclists are given on the roads. There's a lot of cycling tracks, cycling um, paraphernalia, paraphernalia uh, museums, and even cycling cafes. So just um, things that are inherent to, uh, to Flanders that you'll notice as part of uh, the living culture in a visit. But as Aussies, what are we going to go and see uh, when we're in Flanders? And that's what I'm going to touch on next. Now, I've chosen destinations uh, that are, are the most popular for our market, Dylan. I don't have time um, unless <laughs> you want to talk to me for three hours uh, to talk everything Flanders. But so this is a selection of the key points. Thanks, I'm going to begin. Uh, you're relieved, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> You, um, I'm going to begin, uh, of course, with Brussels, uh, the gateway um, to uh, Flanders, uh, and of course, the capital of the European Union as well. We talked a lot about language. Um, in Brussels, um, Dutch and French is spoken. I must say, I generally hear a little more, more French um, in this um, city, but it is officially a bilingual uh, city. It's a surprising city and one that um, even quite well-traveled people often have not spent a lot of time in Brussels. So three things you may not expect. First, um, the Grand Place. It is the most beautiful square. Some regard it as Europe's most beautiful square. This is um, right in the heart of the city centre. You stand here on the cobblestones, it's a very large square, surrounded by buildings of which many have an incredible story uh, to tell a range of different architectural uh, periods are there. Particularly two times I love to walk into the square. I love to walk into the square early morning. The sun is hitting that gold gilding um, as it comes up, it's glorious and it's peaceful. And then as the sun is setting, also, uh, there's a certain elegance to it. Again, that gold is glittering on the buildings renovated only a few years ago. It's stunning. There are beer cafes on the sidewalk. There are chocolate stores. There are all those things that we're starting to find are just a part of life in Belgium. 
The second thing about um, uh, Brussels that you may not expect is it has a comic book culture and is quite into street art. And so you'll see as you walk around the streets, and it really is a city for walking, um, all this comic book street art. One thing you may not know, Dylan, is that the Smurfs are Belgian. So the Smurfs, Really? Yeah, Smurfs are ah. Belgian. This is the new thing, everyone, for the day. Um, of course, Asterix is also Belgian. Yeah. Lucky Luke and a few other um, maybe familiar characters um, for those in older ones in our audience um, that you may um, recognise as you walk streets. But even if they're not known characters, still that comic style um, is, is really fascinating and curious Beautiful. as you walk around um, Brussels. And there's also a comic strip museum telling uh, the history of the Smurfs and some of the other more popular characters as well right in the city centre. Um, lastly, the th other third point I wanted to make about um, Brussels as a gateway to Flanders is just how well connected it is uh, by train to the region of Flanders. Even if you find yourself uh, in Brussels with a spare afternoon, you are 30 minutes away from two small uh, Flemish cities. I'm going to I'm going to tell them to you: Mechelen and Leuven. Mechelen and Mechelen. Leuven. Mechelen. I'm gathering that probably 90% of you have never heard of them before. They're gorgeous, and they're only 30 minutes away from Brussels. So if you have a spare afternoon, um, Leuven, in my mind, is Flanders' most elegant city. Although that's a little strange because it's very much a university town as well. So it has a fabulous vibe. Um, it is also home to the Stella Artois Brewery, just Ooh. a short train ride away from Brussels. Good to know. Mechelen, stunning little town. Um, it has a, uh, a very large tower, St. Rombold's uh, Tower. It's 100 metres tall. You often see it from a train. If you're coming down from Amsterdam, you'll note on through to Brussels, you see this huge tower. That's St. Rombold's in Mechelen. It has a glass um, skywalk you feel like you're literally in the clouds an incredible view again you could pop out um, just for lunch just for an afternoon if you're short on time and I guarantee you'll eat in places there and you may be the only one speaking English it's a very much a local experience gorgeous uh, introduction to Flanders uh, so uh, such a quick uh, hop away from Brussels also, again, very compact region that we're dealing with here. So from Brussels to Ghent or to Antwerp in the north, 45 minutes away on the train. That's easy. And then, yeah, one hour to Bruges. So you're going to be able to see a lot, spend your time well um, on a trip to Flanders. Let's have a look at a couple of these destinations in more detail, though. So I'm going to talk now Bruges and Ghent both glorious medieval art cities. I'm going to talk firstly before I break them down individually about the similarities. So both, both feature medieval architecture. Both are smaller cities by our Australian standards and they are walking cities. They are catch a train or be on a tour and drop you off. Do not think about self-drive or crazy antics here that strongly discourage they are train and walk or tour bus and walk. Um, both feature uh, very highly acclaimed art galleries and museums. Hence, they are known as art cities. Uh, both have city Cards so that if you are looking to maximise value for money and understand what the true offering, jump onto websites and look at what the city card can give you. And both are canal cities as well. So they have canals uh, winding through them. They're beautiful. beautiful. But that's where the similarities end because they both have a very distinct personality. And one thing, Dylan, you must not ask me is which is my favourite? Controversy. That, that is like choosing between your children. Um, <laughs> each, uh, each has a, a distinctly different personality, as uh, anyone will attest who's, who's been to both. So shall we have a look at Bruges first? Let's have a look at Bruges. 
let's have a look at Bruges, glorious Bruges. Some of you may remember Bruges. Our first introduction often was the movie made quite some time ago now in Bruges, if some of you um, ever watched that. Maybe the first time you ever heard um, of this incredible city. Now, the whole city centre of Bruges is UNESCO Heritage listed. It is regarded without um, argument as the best preserved medieval city centre in Europe. Bruges is very fortunate to get through uh, World War I and World War II without any damage. So hence, uh, we have really a, a very, very precious part of history here. It was also a city uh, made very wealthy in the medieval times by the cloth trade, hence also some of the stunning architecture that we can still see hundreds of years later. It is also regarded as Europe's most romantic city. So you've mm. been forewarned. Well, I, I said Europe's most romantic city. Maybe I'm pushing it, but it's definitely Flanders' most romantic city. Let's be biased today. You can have it. Don't worry. I can't speak for all of Europe, <laughs> but, you know, um, I'm, I'm up for a healthy debate on the topic. Um, it's a place to wander the cobblestone um, streets to support um, you know, and to um, explore some of the museums and galleries. Definitely take a canal boat tour um, to see it from the water gives you a different angle. Yeah. Now, you'll walk around some of the stores, um, for example, the lace stores. And yes, it's, it is touristy. This is our most visited um, destination in yeah. Flanders. It does get busy. Um, but the lace is actually done by local artisans. Um, I dare say, and the tapestry, you can walk into the shops and actually talk to, uh, I've talked to women who have created some of these uh, products themselves and it's quite fascinating. So there still is very much an authenticity uh, to the offering. And going back to one of those other aspects of, of Belgium is beer. Another um, uh, artisan that lives around the corner is uh, the brewer. And we have a working uh, brewery right in the heart of Bruges and is uh, called De Haverman Brewery, the Half Moon oh. Brewery. You, um, some of you may have seen it. Yeah. Um, brew, a beer is actually brewed right there. Now, they did a very interesting thing, a quick story I'm going to share with you. A couple of years ago, it was getting very difficult to bring cars and trucks in and ship the beer out from the brewery. Um, so the brewery decided they would build a pipeline under the cobbles to ship the beer out. And the pipeline, how do you dig up, you know, century old cobbles and get people to agree to this? Very difficult. So what they did was if you were a local, you could agree for a very small fee to be able to tap into the pipeline as the beer went out. And for that reason, they got a lot of permissions very quickly. Wow. Is that truly fact or fiction? I'm going to leave you to come to Bruges and find out. Definitely. <laughs> now, um, as I said, it's a walking city. So there are bridges. Um, there's a, um, a lake, the lake of, of the mineral water known as the, as the lake of love. Story also about the swans. As you walk around, you'll see many swans of Bruges. So um, it's a fable that in the 1400s, Maximilian um, of Austria um, sort of cast an evil spell on the citizens of Bruges and said that forevermore, Bruges, uh, you will have to, he was angry because some of his friends had been killed in battle, um, forevermore, Bruges, you have to promise to look after at least 101 white swans for eternity, otherwise uh, the city will fall into decay. And wow. to this day, the white swans are still very much there. But as I said, um, move through the city and um, from all different perspectives from high up, you're looking at buildings you just can't even imagine exist. It's about wandering the streets, um, discovering what's around the next corner. There are horse-drawn uh, carts. Um, you can take a very pleasant ride around. You can hire bikes and ride out uh, to some of the smaller villages on bike tracks. Very easy to do. Oh, cool. But the yeah. one thing I don't want any of you to do is to just come into Bruges uh, for a few hours. Please stop and stay a night. I tell you, you will never forget the first night you walk in Bruges. It's just glorious. So stop. Um, one night is fine. Um, come and enjoy some fine beer, some fine food. 
um, and this glorious city after dark is really uh, something no one no one forgets. So that's Bruges. Um, very, very difficult uh, not to love it. Now, the other friend down the road um, or down uh, via the train is Ghent. So um, it's about a 45-minute drive or about uh, 30 minutes by train to Ghent, which I call Europe's best kept secret. So many people I know have not been to Ghent. And um, in a way, I sort of love that it's a secret, but, you know, it's my business. <laughs> not a secret. Um, now, as I said, this also is a charming medieval city. Beautiful. Um, but the difference from Bruges is more real. It's a working city. It's bigger. It's also a university town, so it has a vibrancy to it. Um, it's still the beauty of Bruges, but it feels more real. People are very quirky, uh, down to earth, completely different personality when you get to know them. One of the favourite things, again, is walking. This is cobblestones, walking, discovering corners. Please take a walking tour in Ghent. It's one of the easiest ways to get to understand the quirky nature of the people. Then walking at night. I've got lots of romantic walks at night in Flanders, but uh, this is one you have to also do. Ghent has beautiful, mystical uh, lighting. Uh, once uh, darkness uh, falls, it's just a subtle lighting effect on all uh, the buildings. If you go onto their uh, website, you'll actually see where the walk takes you. Uh, come midnight, though, the lights go off, so you want to be like Cinderella and know your way back or Definitely. at least to the next bar uh, once the lights go out. But there's also some really uh, curious things about Ghent. Uh, one is Gravenstein Castle that you'll see from a canal boat tour as well as uh, walking. It's a 12th century uh, castle of the Counts. And it just sits there in the part of the city um, just as if it should. Um, it's just such a glorious city that it almost doesn't stand out. It's just another feature, but just an indication as to how incredible Ghent really is. Ghent also has some really curious food. And I've got to say, while I don't have favourites, if I have one place in Flanders I love to eat, it's Ghent. Um, but there's some curious things too. And one of the curious things, lots of little things you can buy along the way, is the Cubidon or the uh, Ghent nose. Now, there's a man who runs a cart in one of the squares. And the, what is this that I'm talking about? You're probably wondering about. So here's a guy, uh, a man who runs his cart, has done it for many, many years. And it's a unique, sweet treat that's like a triangular shape sort of looks vaguely like a nose, so it's called the Ghent nose. The original flavour is raspberry, but it comes now in all sorts of flavours. Mm -hmm. It's a secret recipe. It's um, an acquired taste. I either have people in the group who love it or don't love it, um, but it's one of many local specialties. Um, his cart is in front of a store that sells a mustard, and this mustard is, the store has not changed in 400 years. You've got to see this shop. You ask, you go in and most people she knows uh, who don't speak um, Dutch are looking for the mustard, comes out of a big vat, put into a little jar for you for three euros. You're going to walk away with the most fantastic mustard. Wonderful. Um, and a beautiful Oof. memory of Ghent. Cool. So lots of local things. Keep wandering the streets here. Um, and turn around low, little corners and pockets um, that are just magical. And again, you find that personality of the people, the quirkiness and the welcome. Uh, it's a very inclusive city. It doesn't matter whether I have people in my groups from in their 20s to their 70s. People are welcome in all venues. I've got some cracking venues to engage. I particularly like if you are... Um, in the travel trade, do my training that uh, we'll talk about at the end. And that's where you pick up my tips as to how to spend a night in Ghent. Ah, thank you. Good idea. <laughs> but I've saved the best and the biggest attraction of Ghent um, until the end. And that is uh, the biggest attraction is a piece of artwork. It is uh, known as Europe's most stolen piece of artwork. It's by Van Eyck and it's called The Adoration of the Mystic Lamb. Now, some of you may remember this from the movie The Monuments Men. Some years ago, featured George Clooney. He was, uh, it was a World War II movie. The artwork was stolen by the Nazis and put in the salt mines of um, Austria. 
and they were desperately seeking a panel at the end of the movie. This is the panel they were desperately seeking. And that's only one time that this very, very precious piece of artwork has been stolen. Amazing. The amazing thing, it has recently been restored. And some of the stories of the depth of detail uh, that are coming through are incredible. And that's what makes this painting so special. For the first time ever, we are seeing a painter who painted right down to uh, the hair on a, on a human body, on, on their arms, uh, features and details that were never seen in any artwork previously. So you don't have to be an art historian to understand that this is a critical landmark piece of artwork right in Ghent, in St. Barvo's Cathedral. And by the time our Aussies get to Flanders again, um, the visitor centre is going to be brand new there. So something really to look out for um, when you visit Ghent amongst all those other amazing quirky experiences you can have in the city. However, I'm going to talk now about uh, a part of Flanders that is very dear to my heart and dear to a lot of hearts uh, for Australians, and that is Flanders Fields on the Remembrance Trail. Uh, Dylan, as you introduced us uh, to start with, uh, this was part of the uh, Western Front uh, in World War I, a Western Front that streams from Belgium and, of course, goes into France with Australians fighting both in Flanders and in France. In Flanders, um, Australia fought in 1917 in some very devastating battles um, in Passchendaele that may be familiar uh, to you. For this reason, um, we share, as Aussies, a real deep connection with Flanders Fields. It's part of our shared heritage and it's still very strongly recognised by the locals there, uh, the Australian sacrifice uh, that was made and many memorials exist um, just solely recognising uh, that Aussie service and sacrifice um, that exists. Now, talking locality, if you are picturing in your mind a map of Belgium, I'm on the far west. So I'm right over on that far western point, just sitting above France. If I went a little bit south to France, I'm hitting Lille. And of course, in terms of those battlefields, the first battlefield of France we're going to hit is from Mel. So we're all very intertwined there. But I want to talk back roads, which you're probably relieved to hear, Dylan, seeing as you're talking to me today. <laughs> and I want to talk back roads um, at this point because back roads has a very special relationship um, with uh, Remembrance and Battlefield Touring. Not many people may know that the roots of, battle, of back roads is uh, in Battlefield Touring and that your company continues to have a very strong presence um, to this day. Uh, in the region. So that's very uh, important as we talk to you about the experiences that people can have on a back roads tour. And I'm going to share actually some um, by chance experiences that I've had with back roads in the region. Think about our size here. Flanders Fields is about a third the size of Victoria. So what you're going to find here, um, even when you're uh, with Backroads touring, there's a lot to see and do. You won't find yourself sitting on the tour bus for two hours in between sites. You'll find yourself every 10, 15 minutes um, at a critical point of interest. Yeah. So there's a lot you achieve in a day here, um, which I think is really, really special. The heart of Flanders Fields, though, is the town of Ypres. Now, the hub or the heart? I prefer to call it the heart. Now, what is this town I'm talking about? I'm going to spell it out for you. In written form, it's written as Y-P-R-E-S. Uh, that is the French form or pronounced in French as Ypres. I use the uh, Flemish form, which is Ypres, which is written as I-E-P-E-R. And when you're in Flanders itself, you will see all the town signs um, and the road signs beforehand uh, in the uh, Flemish or Dutch 
which is I-E-P-E-R. I actually think it's easier pr to pronounce EPA. The only thing I don't want you to call it is a leper. When people think the I is an L, that's really, and I only, unfortunately, Aussies do that, but um, it's, it's just a bugbear of mine. You know, this really is my favourite place um, in Flanders, um, unashamedly. But it's amazing to me how many Aussies, for the first time, they feel very much within a short um, time frame a homecoming or they feel very at home here. And I think, again, it has something to do with our shared heritage. It is a gorgeous town to be in, absolutely gorgeous. And part of that reason is the huge, monstrous um, building called the Cloth Hall that sits right in the town square. This is um, a, medi a building of medieval architecture in medieval times. It was the largest non-secular building in Europe. Again, the region is rich from the cloth trade. However, this gorgeous building, as was the entire town, completely destroyed in World War I. Faithful locals, despite the destruction to their own homes as well, rebuilt it. And I love that story of resilience of the locals. Yeah. They rebuilt it brick by brick, exactly as it was. Um, so today when we stand in the square, and the square is magnificent, uh, we look at Cloth Hall. It feels medieval. It looks medieval. So do the other buildings, but it's actually not. Um, some buildings are, the oldest that buildings really are since the restoration are 90 years old to Cloth Hall, which was only finished in the 1960s. Inside Cloth Hall today is the superb in Flanders Fields uh, Museum. Um, so it becomes very much still a part of your visit. But still in, right in the heart, only 300 metres away, um, is the Menin Gate. And the Menin Gate is the most famous Commonwealth War Memorial in the world. Uh, it's an archway. It features the names of 55,000 men who are missing, who were um, presumed killed, uh, are missing, were never recovered uh, on the battlefields of Flanders of the 55,000 uh, names that are missing, approximately 6,000 are Aussies. So each and every night um, under the Menin Gate, um, the last post is sounded by volunteer buglers in a very um, moving uh, ceremony, which is a tribute to the sacrifice of everyone and a memorial to uh, the missing. I know, Dylan, that you've um, been to Ipa not so long ago and that you've experienced this, so maybe you would um, like to put it in your words as to how you, you found this. I think even just the introduction of locality and location um, from the Flanders Museum um, and that downtown region, it, it really is a sort of a, a figurehead of the town and uh, this, this occasion to, to be a part of it um, even if you don't really have the, the, the true history or family legacy that sits behind all the wars and battlefield stories that we have, it's quite a moving ceremony to, to be a part of. And um, one of the things I loved about being on tour with, with Battlefields and with our, with our specialist guides is that they take the time to actually get us in there to prime location. And I, I know this might change with COVID and I'm, I'm sure it will evolve back once the world writes itself a little bit. But I just thought I'd, thought I'd play a little bit of the last place that I got to experience when I was there, um, just to give you an idea of what it's all about. So I'll just, hopefully if this technology works, we'll try it out. And um, I'll let Sonia kick on and, and take you further through this amazing region, which uh, you all have to go visit this town. This is wonderful, 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 but fingers crossed for technology, let's see if this works. We were so close to the buglers. It was absolutely amazing. And with a group of only 18, and we had, we had 15 on my particular tour, we were nestled right at the front within arms reach, so to speak, of the buglers. So all of our guests had the most amazing and moving experience. I can guarantee you half the guys were in tears and I may have dropped one. I'm not going to admit to it 100% because I'm a manly man. But uh, yeah, a must-do and a moving moment as part of your Battlefields experience. But... I mean, there's more to see than just um, the, the wonderful town here of Ipa. What else can we see, Sonia? 
I'm glad you mentioned that um, because this really is the is the hub, but it, then it's getting out into those um, battlefield um, areas that are, are so crucial. Um, when you head out, um, you we really um, and Backroads does cater for your um, for your visitors on each tour, so it's a, sort of a, a guideline itinerary, and then you're looking for those individual um, yeah. connections or, or points as well. So it's adapted each time, but it's the cemeteries, it's the memorials, um, they're extremely well kept. Um, a place uh, that is very well visited is Tynecott Cemetery. Um, and of course, features on a backroads tour. Yeah. Um, Tynecott is almost overwhelming. It's the largest um, of the Commonwealth uh, war grave sites in the world. This has 12,000 um, men buried here. Um, most without a name, most are not known. It was a battlefield cemetery, but it's beautifully kept. The gardens are kept uh, meticulously well. Um, this is a big one, a very, you know, the biggest of the cemeteries, but sometimes also the very small cemeteries um, can be just as moving. Yeah. And I'm going to tell a funny little interesting story that he, we happen to be talking today. About three years ago, I was with a, a small um, trade group and we were touring out, uh, visiting some cemeteries and sites um, in the region. It was a day, a horrendous day of, of roadworks and our guide and our driver were getting very frustrated, having to make a lot of detours. And we ended up on some strange back roads that I had no idea actually how we were going to turn out where we did. Anyway, we finally got there and felt on our way and lo and behold, who do we come up behind? But back roads touring. So I thought, oh, that's curious. We watched back roads sort of detour left and we went right. And then eventually at the end of the day, we found them, um, I think at Tyne Cot actually. And so I was curious. I went up to their guide and driver and said, hi, you know, we've a group of travel agents and we're interested to see, you know, good job in finding those detours. Wasn't it tough today? And they looked at me blankly and said, but we were always on those roads. And I loved that because I felt this really was a company that was um, doing exactly what they say they're doing. And I said, when you veered left and we went right, they said, we veered left because we had somebody on board and we were going to visit a particular cemetery where their relative was buried. And so that is exactly um, the Backroads experience um, happening. Uh, that's a genuine story that I shared with Dylan before we began. Um, to show that in action, it is catering for that human interest. But Dylan, you touched on such an important part. You don't have to have a family um, or a, a connection or a deep uh, battlefield knowledge. I take many people who just have a seed of curiosity about what happened to our country at uh, in this time frame, why were we there? What were we doing? And the cost and the connection um, come with no knowledge. Of course, if you have a little, it helps. Um, but it's something um, that everyone can find interesting. I also want to make a comment. Um, I hate the term dark tourism. Battlefield touring is not dark tourism. Yes, attending things can be quite uh, sad and poignant, but it's the most uplifting experience. And to be in the town of Ypres of a night and enjoying a beer on a sidewalk cafe is what enjoying peacetime is all about. Um, there are many experiences through the region, the fabulous museums, as I mentioned, the In Flanders Fields Museum in, in Ypres, uh, the Memorial Museum, which is a completely different experience. Again, that Backroads takes you to a nearby Zonnebecker, um, hand-picked uh, to make the most of a visit for that specific group of travellers with each trip. However, I cannot just leave um, the town of Ypres yet because there's one shout out I want to give to the hotel that uh, Backroads uses. Uh, we talked about proximity to uh, the Menin Gate. Um, you guys are using um, the Albion Hotel. Again, yes, not sure if I'm supposed to say this, but it is my personal favourite. <laughs> I love it um, because it's family run. Um, by a family who have lived in this region uh, forever or for a long time. Uh, they do a great job. It's meticulously clean. It's always been meticulously clean. It feels local. The breakfast area is beautiful. The welcome is um, second to none. 
um, and you will just love the location, being able to walk into the town square, find the chocolate shops still, the bars, the cafes and all the other experiences there, but you're literally two minutes walk um, from the Menning Gate. So it's a very, very special part to be and, um, and well done to Backroads for choosing that one. So again, uh, a Backroads experience is a very special experience um, in touring the region made special also by the guides. Incredible guides uh, work for Backroads in this part of the world to tell the story of what happened. The crazy thing is that as you are out in the fields, it's all rural farmland. It's very peaceful as you, as you drive from between the cemeteries and the memorials. It's really on your own. You can't imagine what happened where you can't get a grasp of the stories and really uh, come up close and personal with it. So I just um, can't recommend enough guiding in this region and backroads um, do that really well. To put this in perspective again with what we talked about earlier, in talking Bruges and talking Ghent, we're about an, um, an hour away on a train. So if you're looking to add those on, this is a compact region. So you can only imagine the experiences you can have in a few days um, in Europe, uh, in Flanders. Wow. 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 I mean... I'm so glad we finished with, with the Battlefields piece there and, and the region location of Ypres. And for the Battlefields experience, you've, you've, you've quintessentially done my job for me, so I appreciate that, Sonia. Um, one key thing, ladies and gentlemen, to remember is when you are making your reservations with Backroads for these tours, if there is information or um, any history you can share with our reservations team, please do. Um, we pass this onto our specialised tour leaders who actually go out of their way and, as Sonia alluded to, drive down roads that have never been driven on, so to speak, um, to find cemeteries which are quite small and quite unique. To find the gravestone of said person is quite a moving moment. And on my particular tour last May, we had th four, four unique moments uh, where we let um, the, the, the two people go off with their poppy to their gravestone and spend their time um, with, with their relative and that took me, my breath away. That, that was absolutely moving. And although some of the people threw it on our tour leader at the tour point, which meant they spent many hours in the evening trying to locate these places, if you can give it to our guys nice and early at the reservation point or final payment, it allows our teams to really dig deep and find these unique sites. And although, yes, we have a, a six day manifest of seeing things, but how we can find time and how we can make each and every one of these tools completely unique is, um, is something special for your customers. So um, thank you, Sonia, for your story um, of going through the region and seeing what we do. I think it means a lot. I mean, I'm very biased, I have to say it, but to have someone who's seen it and witnessed it for themselves, I think means a lot. But enough about this. How can our guys post our little introduction today, stay up to date with all things Flanders and the region itself? Okay, so there's a number of ways um, that um, if you want to find out more about Flanders, we do have a new online trade training website. Um, it's got a really innovative um, URL. It's www.visitflanderstradetraining.com.au. Now, for people who complete this, uh, there's only four modules and it's user-friendly stuff. It's uh, really, really, it's, I've written it specifically um, for Aussie travellers and, and the Aussie trade. Um, so if you complete four modules um, by 31 December, um, everyone will be able to register an expression of interest to join me on a uh, fam trip uh, six nights across Flanders, doing a lot of the things we talked about wow. and about a lot of the things that you read about um, as well in the training. So we'd love to have you on board. And if you're interested, um, jump on and, uh, and have a look at the trade training. I've also put a number of uh, websites where uh, you can have a look to visit Flanders, visit Bruges, visit Ghent, as well as a range of social media sites. Um, all of these regions are very, of course, active on social media. And so if you want to get a feel and follow us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever your poison is, um, we're there. Um, so 
that is one way. The other way, Dylan, is I'm really happy for people to reach out to me. If they uh, want to uh, have um, help in itinerary planning, how this works uh, for their specific clients, clients with um, special interests, special needs. If you even want a restaurant recommendation or a shoe shop recommendation, I'm also very good on. Um, so, <laughs> You've got your niches sorted out there very well. Oh, I've got many niches. It's not bad, is it? Chocolates, beer and shoes and there battlefields. Um, so please uh, feel free. Uh, and as I said, if you are looking for some great touring options, uh, do consider uh, Backroads, of course. Fantastic. Well, Sonia, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. For everyone who's tuning into Tourism Body Tuesday, this has been an amazing update. Without even prompting Sonia, the culinary aspect of the region was highlighted so, so well. I am moving over there now. I'm tapping my house into the local <laughs> beer line. I'm eating a praline with champagne in it straight away. I'm going to get down to the roots of what town is better, Bruges or Ghent. And um, I'm going to lock myself in for another Battlefield tour um, sometime soon. Ho hopefully one of the Anzac tours just to see the, the next yeah. uh, take our customers on. That Absolutely. Tour. That's another special experience. We, we could talk on forever, but we won't. We couldn't do. But <laughs> on behalf you, of Backroads Touring, I thank you very much. Visit Flanders and obviously Sonia, you have been amazing. Thank you ever so much. What we'll try and do, once we, we have the world corrected again, we'll probably try and reconnect and sort of, really talk through the destination so that when people are back in that um, selling environment and getting those like nitty gritty questions from their customers, we can sort of re-highlight this for them as well with a few new regions and a few new tips and a few new mm -hmm. shoe shops to uh, share with our guys <laughs> as well. So thank you again. I hope you guys have all enjoyed this and stay tuned for next Tuesday when we have another little catch up on Tourism Body Tuesday. Thank you very much and speak to you soon. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, my name is Dylan Hearn and I thank you for tuning in to Come and Let's Talk Tourism Body Tuesday, hosted by your favourites Backroads Touring Co and our wonderful tourism bodies around Australia and New Zealand. Please tune in via Anchor FM, Spotify or Apple Music. We thank you all for your support and we ask you to share this with any of your colleagues or friends. We will continue to try and innovate this learning experience for you all together. For any visuals of our presentations, please log into Facebook and subscribe to Backroads Touring APAC Agents, Backroads Touring UK Agents, and lastly, Blue Roads Touring NA Agents in the North American market. We thank you again and we welcome you to our next podcast very soon.